I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. <laughs> Hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Theology. Theology. Unplugged. This time, Tad, we're in a spot talk about something very specific that you're all going to be very surprised that he's asking this question. You would think, coming from me, that this would be one of the first things that I would teach him, and he would already be well-schooled in this, but you're going to be very impressed, especially some of my friends out there that do not agree with me on this position. You're going to be very impressed. I've talked to Tad. What is it? We're on number 12. That This is 12 on the broadcast. We've been talking for 20 years, and this is the first time that we're talking about this because last time he said, hey, I want to talk about this, and I was like, we haven't talked about that yet. But anyway, um, glad you're joining us, and I'm just going to go ahead and pull Tad in right now. Tad, how you doing, man? Hey, man, how are you? Good. You, you, uh, yeah, you, I wanna, you got a yeah. different shirt on. I got the same shirt on. Well, I, I've worn this shirt before. I think about that because when I get, uh, <laughs> when I start thinking about because we get, you know, these messages and stuff on Facebook or wherever they find us. And um, I have to go two episodes by what I'm wearing because <laughs> the numbers are all wrong. Yeah. So, uh, uh, hey, I've got them right recently. Look, number 12. Yeah. No, yeah. But uh, anyway, so yeah. I'm, I like your black right. shirt. I like your black shirt. What? It, Thanks, yeah, man. Calvinism nice, and then nice and clean. And it's not the same black shirt every time. So shut up. I got like three or four black shirts. No, nobody knows the truth. But you. Uh, I'm like, hey, we talked about Dan Wallace last time. He wears a blue yeah. denim shirt every single time. He's yeah. never been seen outside of the blue denim shirt. That's Jay Leno, man. That's a genius. <laughs> that means you don't have to think. That's you know, true. You know what you're going to wear when you get up. You don't have to think about that it. That is true. Um, one time, listen to this, listen to this, Dan, Dan's such a crazy, it's, I don't know why I'm talking about him, but he said he, he was just so much fun and he's so absent-minded, typical absent-minded professor. One time, whenever we were at school, um, everybody, let me tell you two things that he did. Um, one time he, everybody showed up in class and had the exact same blue denim uh, shirt on <laughs> and he didn't even notice. He went the entire class <laughs> and everybody had the same shirt on as him. Yeah, yeah. That, that's one time. And then another time they uh, decided to ask him, they, they, I forget what it was. It was something about, they needed his keys to his car for some reason, right? Just uh, his secretary needed it. And so um, he parked his car in the morning, got to the school, the seminary, parked his car, then went to class the end of the day, gets his keys, and he goes out to find his car, but his car is gone. The students moved it a little bit. They just moved it one parking space the first time, and he didn't notice it, and they're like, oh, let's try it a little bit more. And, and so they went on doing this for, for a full week every day and moved it further and further away <laughs> to where it was in a different parking lot of Baylor, not even in Dallas anymore. And he still, he still didn't know. He had no idea. So <laughs> he's like, get him on the absent minded stuff. Yeah. He's like, it would make sense if I parked over there. For some <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just walk around. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like something I would do though, for sure. Yeah. But not because yeah. I'm smart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're actually smart. Um, but what we ended on last time uh, was the legalist. Legalism, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then well, wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we were going to talk about Calvinism because well, I've got we, Calvinism in the title. Okay. You want to start with Calvinism? This is your. It doesn't matter. We can do whatever you want. I can change it later. 
no, go with where great. you want to go. Calvin sounds great. It sounds, um, I don't like to look things up unless I talk to you first because I feel like somebody else is going to say something I don't like and I know you. Yeah. But Calvinism seems a little uh, cocky. So did you did you look it up? No, I'm waiting on you. But I know we've talked about it and I watched some of your old um, – did I watch everything you do? You know that, right? And and uh, so we ha- we have talked about it before. Yeah, and I watched one of your classes or a brief class, and then you've got some blogs that you've written about it, and I read those um, last night or early this morning, and um, I I don't feel like <clears throat> I like I need I need to know more. I need to know more before I make. It. <laughs> no, no, you start. You're starting off well. You're starting off. I know you understand it. If you start off by saying I, I've got a bad taste in my mouth for. Man, it. I, I yeah, I just I need I need more information. I think before. Well, I- here, here's one thing I'd start with. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but this is one of the most important things you could ever bring to theology and bring to life in general. I mean, it's the palatability of a doctrine does not determine its veracity, meaning how well it sits, how well it tastes doesn't determine anything about it. And so one of your, one of your, I mean, this is just basic to knowing truth. Truth is outside of us. Uh, Objective truth is outside of us. If something is true or not, it doesn't depend upon whether our brains think it is or not. You know, if a tree falls in the woods and if nobody's there to hear it, does it fall still? Does it still make a noise? Of course it does. Right. I mean, it has nothing to do with you. It's only a subjective, uh, uh, self-consumed person that would think that it has something to do with them, <laughs> whether or not a tree makes a noise whenever it falls and nobody's there to listen to it. Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing whenever you're talking about truth, whenever we're approaching God. And this is this is really valuable to take with you and to say, God, didn't, God doesn't ask for a show of hands on how many people like something in order to make it true or not, right? So it's, it's either there, the palatability of a doctrine does not determine its veracity, simply means that we have got to approach things as objective as we can. But that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that our, our feelings about things don't represent any idea of truth at all because we're created in the, in the, in the, in the image of God. And it's not as if we're going to get to stand before God and understand that all his, all the things that he uh, has and that are good and all those things that he has that are bad are just the reverse for us. Right. It's there's no the the early church fathers called this the analogy of being, meaning that God, the whenever we think of God, whenever we think of whenever He says something is good, our definition of good is the same as His because we're created in His image. However, it's not always the full story is not always given to us. So whenever we approach the doctrine of Calvinism, that's a big preface just to say this because it doesn't sit right, doesn't make it not true, but don't necessarily uh, discount it completely either, right? Yeah. Okay, so you say, what is Calvinism? Do you have anything specific to talk about, or do you just want me to jump right in? I I knew knew we were going to talk about this, so I actually have a slideshow that's pulled up. Of course you do. (laughs) Charts. You want me to show it to you? You ready? Yeah. I'm ready. I'm just going to give you I'm just going to give you the big overview. And that's okay. it. All right. So Calvinism and that's Arminianism. Last time. Okay, yeah. You saw this last night? Yeah. Okay. 
Well, it's, I think it's the only session yeah, I've ever done that's I just focused on this. I, yeah, I just had to use my own opinion to keep going. Uh, it's just uh, okay. John Calvin is a guy that lived in the 16th century. And Jacob Arminius is a guy that lived as a contemporary of John Calvin. And Jacob Arminius didn't like what John Calvin was teaching. And John Calvin had a certain type of teaching that he brought up that was focused upon the sovereignty of God and his control of things. And Jacob Arminius focused more on the, the free will of man and the, the love of God. God, uh, Jake, uh, John Calvin focused upon the sovereignty of God to make the choices that he that he makes, and he is completely sovereign in all areas. And so, whenever something comes about, whenever something, whenever somebody gets saved, it is because God has moved sovereignly in and saved them. And Jacob Arminius came in and said, "No, that that's that doesn't seem right." it seems like everybody has a choice. So if you're, if you are a believer, if you've trusted in Christ, you are a believer because you have chosen to be a believer. And, uh, uh, John Calvin would say, no, that is not true. You are a believer because God has, has moved within your heart to such a degree that he has compelled you. He is, he has moved within you to such a degree that that antagonism that you had for him before has been alleviated by God sovereignly, and you believe in him because God chose you to believe in him, okay? Now, you yeah. may say, Michael, where in the world would you come up with something like that? I mean, this is not something you sit around and you figure is the way the world works. I mean, after all, we all we all believe every day that we're, we work according to our free will and our, our own choices and that our choices have consequences and that whenever we make certain choices, we can't blame other people for those choices, uh, especially God. You can't say, well, I blame God because I, I, I am in hell and I never believed. The reason why I'm in hell and I never believed is because God never cho chose me to believe. So therefore, it is God's fault. Nobody thinks naturally something different than that, right? And I, I don't believe that's anything different than that either in general. But in Romans chapter nine, there's a key passage that I think I'm going to read. I'm going to read to you here that I think is really important. Uh, otherwise, you don't know where I'm getting this from. It's not just ideas. It's in the Bible. Nobody is naturally a Calvinist. Everybody has to be change to be a Calvinist. We're all born Arminians. We're all born believing that our free will ultimately determines everything. And so whenever you become a Calvinist, you have to have something on the outside, some type of knowledge base on the outside that comes in and says, no, that's not really true. Your free will does not really have the determining effect that you think it does. John Calvin believed this. I mean, it's not just John Calvin. You go all the way back to St. Augustine. You go to St. Thomas Aquinas. You go to uh, Anselm. All these people could be argued were Calvinists before Calvin. And, of course, you could say Paul was a Calvinist before Calvin as he, uh, you know, wrote this passage that I'm getting ready to share with you. Now, I'm going to read this passage and... You you just kind of take with it what you will, and I, I want you to I want to get your reaction to it, okay? Yeah. Um, okay, God is talking about Israel. Okay, let me let me let me give you kind of context. God Paul has been talking for the first eight chapters of Romans. It's just a book about salvation. 
It's about justification. It's about how to be just before God. He starts chapters one through three and says, everybody's sinful. Let's get that established. Nobody can come to God um, because they're so corrupt. So he starts there. Uh, Then he moves on to the only way that we are saved, and this is chapters four through six, the only way we are saved is if Christ comes in, God comes in and saves us by dying on the cross for us because we are helpless without him. Everybody agrees with that, right? Mm-hmm. There's not a person that, uh, not a Calvinist or Arminian that disagrees yeah. with no, what I've said so far. That covers it. That checks all the boxes. <laughs> and so then you go to, uh, you, well, by the time you get to Romans chapter, then, then you got ch- chapter six, part of six and through eight, and it's about sanctification. But then by the time you get to Romans chapter nine, basically think this, think people are listening to Paul and they all raise their hand. They say, wait a minute. You know, you, you say that we're all so secure in what Christ has done for us that neither, and he ends chapter eight by saying that neither height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which is really great. I mean, amazing passage. There's neither height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come that can separate you from what Christ did for you. That's one of the all-time great passages, right? Because, I mean, if nothing can separate you from the love of God that is through Christ Jesus and what he's done for you, we're pretty darn secure, right? Right. Well, here's what somebody's thinking in as they're listening to the book of Romans or the argument that Paul has given. They say, wait a minute, I got a question, Paul. Weren't the Jews also beloved of God? And if they were loved, beloved of God, aren't they at the present time, generally speaking, they are not accepting the gospel. They do not accept what Christ did. The Jews are, after all, the ones that uh, called upon him to be nailed to the cross. The Jewish leadership are the ones that that uh, rejected him and called upon Pilate to crucify him. So if, if we're so secure in the love of God. What about Israel? Israel was supposedly so secure in the love of God as well. Okay. So that's where we're at. So Paul starts chapter nine and he says, Hey, listen, let me tell you something. I know that, and then he writes it all about the Jews. I know that there's a, there's something going on with the Jews and that I have a longing and an unceasing desire in my heart that they would all be saved. As a matter of fact, I would trade places with them if I could. But then he says, it is not the children of it. Oh, wait, let me back up one little bit more. Um, now who's saying this? This is Paul. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. He says in uh, chapter nine, verse three, I wish that I could accurse myself, be separated from Christ on behalf of my Jewish brethren who are the Israelites to whom belong the adoption the glory and the covenants and the and uh, the law and the temple services and the promises. But then he, uh, verse six, he says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed because that's what people are saying. Wait a minute, God's word has failed because the Jews are not accepting him. And verse six, he says, it's not as though the word of God has failed for not all Israel are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through your descendants, 
uh, through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh that are children of God, but children according to the promise are regarded as descendants. Now, what's he saying here? He's saying, okay, all the Jewish people came from, from Abraham, right? But God gave a specific promise to Abraham, and he said, it's not going to be all your children. It's going to be through Isaac, not through, not through, um, uh, uh, he, he was trying to go through Ishmael. It wasn't through Ishmael, but it was through Isaac that your descendants would be named. And so just because you're a child of Abraham doesn't mean you're a child of the promise. God has promised things to Israel. And so there's a, but there's a specific subgroup. So he's drawn this circle around Israel and saying, here's, here's who you think Israel is. Let me draw you a smaller circle within this and say, these are the only ones in all of Israel who were children of the promise. And uh, uh, so therefore God, God is not breaking his covenant to all those in this big circle, but he only promised a smaller subgroup within that bigger circle. The rest are not children of the promise. Okay. You kind of, you kind of hanging with me. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm just, this is a lot. Okay. Okay. Just keep on. It gets a lot worse. Okay. All right. okay. <laughs> so he says, um, but it is not as good though. The word is God has failed. Verse six. For not all of Israel are descended from Israel, nor are they children because they are Abraham's descendants. Verse 9 says, um, for, this, for this is the word of promise. At the time, Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but there will be Rebekah also when she has conceived twins by one man through Isaac. For through though the twins had not been born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His promise would would stand, to, uh, according to His choice would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. It was said, "The older will serve the younger." Just as it is written, "Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated." So <laughs> that's just so much to say right there. Basically, he's saying from Abraham, then Isaac. Then Jacob and Esau were born, but it wasn't Esau that was chosen. It was Jacob. And then Jacob's children, the 12 children of Jacob were part of Israel. That's true Israel. But Esau, even though he, his granddad was Abraham and his dad was Isaac, is not a child of the promise. So basically, it's only the people that God has promised that uh, God is liable or obligated to hold his okay. promises to. And then he says, um, is this the old uh, Testament? No, this is new Testament. Oh, man. He says, though the twins were not born, had not done anything good or bad. It was said, the older will serve the younger, just as written, Jacob. Have I loved Esau? Have I hated verse 14 says, what shall we say then? There's, there is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. Because somebody would be saying, wait a minute, there's injustice with God at this point because it seems like he's just picking and choosing, right? Yeah, that's what I'm Okay, thinking. okay, that's uh, Paul. Paul, the, the very thing he, whenever he says this, he says uh, there's no injustice with God, is there? He's asking the question because he knows what everybody's thinking. He knows that if you're following this correctly, that this is the way you would think. Somehow, God is to be held accountable for this since he's at fault. 
So Paul preempts it in this diatribe. He preempts the question, and he says, there's no injustice with God, is there? And then he says, Meganoita, may it never be a curse, that thought. There is never any injustice with God. Um, let me keep on going here. What shall we say then? There's no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, and I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. So then it does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Another incredibly dense, hard statement. And so what does Paul do? He preempts the question once again, the exact same type of question. If you're following me rightly here, you'll be thinking there's injustice with God. Well, what I'm thinking really is um what i can't see you so i don't know what you can see but um it, it seems to be so much hypocrisy oh, why am i i'm still on this <laughs> i just talk about calvinism but I no i i uh this is you know not a turn off word this is not a turn off thing it's i just see so much hypocrisy in this that it's um well, that's how the Bible is. The, that's where you get back to the legalism. But it just seems to me that he can pick and choose. He's picking and choosing. He's judging. He's not judging. He's making subcultures. He's doing this and that. And I don't even know why I'm going to this subject, but I'm going to real quick. Okay. If that's okay with you. Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, um, uh, it goes back to, you, you said a lot of things in there, and I'm, try, I'm just trying to process. Uh it, it won't go back to gays just because I just have a there, but there's so much hypocrisy in what you just said compared to what he thinks about gays and not being able to produce and stuff like that, which is clearly true. But at the same time, he's judging them and they can't be Christian if they're gay, but he's also judging someone that I don't know how to articulate it, Michael. But you, okay. You first, first of all, first of all, I, uh, there's nothing. There's there's no way we could ever make the statement you can't be Christian because you're gay. Right. Yeah. That's you true. made that clear. You made that very clear. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, that'd be like saying you can't be a Christian because you're a sinner. I mean, that's right. the only way you can be a Christian. <laughs> that's a great. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but but let me let me finish this at least at yeah, least I'm let me sorry. finish I it so that I can so that I can uh, let you. See what this is built on, and let you see the full extent of the problem. Yeah, because no, I'm not acting good. like this is easy, and I understand all this. I'm right there with the guy who's raising his hand, saying, "Wait a minute, this doesn't make sense, Paul." Right, right. That's, that's kind of I'm not trying to process each word, and I'm like, "Okay, okay." And it, there's just so much. I can't believe you know all this stuff. He says, uh, "On the contrary, who you uh, that you will say to me that this is the second time." He says this beforehand. It was, wait a minute. You know, this, this doesn't seem right. There's injustice with God. The second time he comes up and he says, you will say to me, then why does God still find fault for who resists his will? Right. Again, if you're under, if we're understanding this correctly, that should be exactly what you're saying, yeah. uh, what you're thinking in your mind. And which basically tells me, number one, 
we're we're understanding Paul's argument right. Doesn't mean we get it, but we're understanding it right. So whenever we come back and we say, how in the world does he still find fault? Whenever what you're saying here seems to present this, this odd situation where nobody can resist the will of God. He's going to do what he's going to do. Paul, and, and Paul responds to that again with the same thing. He says, who, on the contrary, O oh man, who are you who, to answer back to God? The thing molded won't say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Or the pot, does not the potter have the right over the clay to make one, uh, make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another one for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make his glory known and the riches of his vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not also, not just among the Jews only, but also among the Gentiles. This is the key problem here, uh, Tad. The, this passage, the, take this passage out. There, there's other things in here as well in the Bible. But this, Romans chapter 9, by far and away, is the most difficult, dense, hard to understand chapter in all scripture right because it seems to be god god, uh, god just saying god's going to do the way what he's going to do and don't question him and in some sense it is saying that some sense it is saying who are you to answer back to god who are you to put god on the judgment and and strike the gavel and say god i can i i count you guilty as breaking my my idea of justice right that's 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 what he's saying. Who are you to yeah. do that? Yeah. Now, some people come in. The Armenians will come in and say, "No, this can't. It just doesn't seem to mean what it's what it at least on surface seems to mean." And there's a lot of really good Armenian scholars out there. I mean, lots of my friends are Armenians, but they take this, and I I I think in order to overcome the difficulties, they have to they have to mold this into something that it's not and, and really not understand the objectors saying, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? Because we are interpreting it correctly. That's the only way we could say this. That's the only way we could have this bad taste in our mouth is if we are interpreting it correctly. And so Calvinists believe that God has chosen People, those who are going to be saved before the foundation of the world. There's so much more to it than this, Tad. I, this yeah. is this yeah. is tiny, tiny little bit, but yeah. it's the most controversial part of the doctrine, which is called unconditional election. God has elected. If you are saved, it is because God Daddy, elected so you to be saved. What? I'm writing this down. What? Unconditional election. Okay. I'll put it. I'll put this uh, this back up here and show you the different points of Calvinism, if I can get to it. Does everybody else know this but me? No, no, it's not. I mean, it, if you're in theology for any amount of time, you're going to have to go through this and think about it, try to figure out where you stand. <laughs> um, do you believe that? Ultimately, the question is, do you believe that people are saved as a result of God's sovereign choice or are they saved because God, um, God provided a salvation and they chose to be saved? That's what I believe. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. 
I, I'm, I'm I not going to try to talk you out of that. I'm not going to try to talk you out of that at all. All I'm trying to do is introduce you right, the, to this pebble that goes in your shoe. And, yep. and nobody becomes a Calvinist overnight anyway. I mean, one of these days, you'll, you'll, I'll convince you and you'll be fine and you'll understand it's not well, i don't think i'm a calvinist not, i just i think that i i i, I you know, one of these one of these days though you will be a calvinist because that's my oh, ultimate man. goal not to make you a christian but to make you a calvinist christian is that what you I'm want me kidding. to be no no i'm just kidding yeah no, I, no. I don't like that <laughs> I, i'm I, all i'm saying is that you've just been introduced to the cardest part of the concept and you have an allergic reaction right at the beginning which you should have Okay. I, I mean, it's not as if there's a person in the world, including myself, who says, oh, I get it. If you just knew, if you just had a hard heart like I do or a hard part of your brain like I do or, you know, just had as much knowledge, then you would make this makes this easy. It's not easy in any sense. Um, whenever I whenever I whenever I see people being I want to see you. Believer, see you. Huh? I want to see. I can't see. Okay, good, good. Hey, okay. Whenever people become a believer from the standpoint of, you know, I'm trying to convince you right now, right? I'm not under the assumption that, well, it doesn't matter because God's either chosen him or he hasn't chosen him. I am trying to convince you with everything that I have that for the last 20 years that this is all correct, right? I, 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 this is the way the world works. And so you, you can be somebody like me who is what's called a compatibilistic Calvinist. I believe this passage is true because it's in the Bible. I don't really understand how it works out that God is both sovereign and at the same time, we are responsible for our choices, but I do believe those are both 100% true. I don't think that God yeah, is that. mostly sovereign. And then also we uh, have a tiny bit of choice. I believe it's 100% and 100%. 100% our responsibility and 100% God's sovereignty. But at the same time, I can't look at passages like this and say, um, I, I've got to, I've, this has got to go into my theological what repertoire. I've got to say, this is, this is part of what I believe. And so there's a tension that is involved between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God, the Bible says very clearly in many places that God loves everybody. It says very clearly in places that he wants everybody to be saved. And so if he loves everybody and he wants everybody to be saved, uh, I, I often tell people the first question I'm going to ask God is, why didn't he choose everybody? You know, if he really wants everybody to be saved, why didn't he choose everybody? And he's going to decide to answer me. Or he's not going to decide to answer me. He may make it to where I can understand this. He may make it to keep it in a in a state of tension so that I have to trust in him. But God, uh, there's many things in, whenever we talk about theology that there's really five primary things that are that are um, that are they they we have to keep them in tension. Uh, the Trinity. We believe in one God, yet three persons. I can't tell you how that works. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe the Father is God, and I believe the Holy Spirit is God, and I believe that they are not each other. I cannot tell you how that works. Um, I believe that the Bible is 100% from God and 100% from man. So whenever I interpret it, I've got to understand it from its human context, from what the arguments are, from the language, from the culture and everything else. But at the same time, I've got to see that this is exactly what God wanted. 
man's freedom, human's responsibility is another one. Man is 100% responsible for his own choices. And whenever he is judged by God in the very end, if you haven't trusted in Christ, whenever that person is judged, that person, the judgment will be right. It won't be some facade that is going on. But at the same time, I do believe the only possible way anybody can be saved is if God sovereignly chose them before the foundations of the world. And I do believe that's the emphasis that Paul makes right here whenever he says, for even though the twins had not yet been born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It is not as if God looked at both these people, Jacob and Esau, and said, man, look at this. Jacob's going to really follow me later on in life, so I'm going to choose him. Or looked at Esau and said, look at Esau. He's not really going to follow me, so I'm not going to choose him. It was before they had done anything good or bad, God chose them. So I hold those intention. I'm a Calvinist, not because it's a natural thing for me to be. I'm a Calvinist because I believe the Bible truly teaches God's 100% sovereignty and man's 100% responsibility. So and I have to keep those intentions. Do, did you believe in the Bible first before you became, I mean, is that, is that the order that you went into? Like, okay, I read the Bible I, or this is me putting words in your mouth, but you read the Bible. You're like, okay, I believe all of this because that's how you were raised and your sweet mom. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. That. But is that where you were like, okay, if this is what I believe in every single thing about this, then you get labeled or you decide that you're going to be one or the other. I mean, can't you just be a Christian and just believe in how the Bible and just like want to, there's God. Well, that's what, that's what we're trying to do here. I mean, a Calvinist is know, somebody who is a different way to have labels, man. I, and, well, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Are you, are you saying that, is there some way to be a Christian and say, I'm a Christian, but I don't accept Romans nine, or I don't accept the book of Romans, or I don't accept what Paul teaches, something like that. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess, I, I guess that's exactly what I'm saying. And that's, well, you, I, I, I'm not, I, I mean, it's a good question. It is. I mean, yeah, I guess I, you could come up with, oh, I'm sorry. I guess you could come up with some type of argument that says, you know, I don't believe Paul actually wrote Romans or maybe, maybe that Romans is in flux. Like he's, he's growing and he's, this is early on in his ministry. And later on, he figured out that it was, I don't know. I mean, it's just a matter of coming up with an argument of as to why you would, why you wouldn't believe this other ask, than it just doesn't sit right. What I, I think at the, cause I'm, let's just call it, um, a superficial Christian. Like I'm just, I'm just breaking the skin of this. You know what I mean? I haven't yeah. got real deep. Do I have to, to be, this is where I talked about that one time. It seems like it's a lot of work to get to heaven. Yeah. I think it's a lot of work to, there's some kind of work involved here. And I don't know if I want to, like, I just want to believe I want to live the right kind of life that Jesus wants me to live and, and, and God but I don't know if I want to be like, like, dude, you're, 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 you're a scholar. And I don't know if I want to be a scholar and know everything about the Bible. Is that, does that make me wrong? 
No, I, no. I mean, it, it, you you couldn't just say I just I just want to keep my distance from the theology and all that, and just kind of live on um, the basics of the gospel. You know that Jesus loves me, that He died for me, and that you know He wants me to tell other people about Him. I don't know. I don't know where you'd start to draw the line though, and start to say these are the things that I am going to believe, and these are the things I'm not going to believe, because that's whenever you can get into a lot of trouble. Like. I mean, there's people out there that are saying, yeah, I'm Christian, but I also believe that, you know, Joseph Smith was also uh, a representative of of uh, the church and the Mormons are right. Or yeah. I'm a Christian, but I also believe that, um, you know, that God is, is a pantheistic type God as well. So therefore, Hindus are right. Or I'm a Christian and I believe there's many ways to heaven. Uh, my, my particular way just happens to be Christ. You can come up with this stuff and you got to, the thing is you got to come up with some type of authority. Who's the authority in your life? Are your, are your own emotions your authority? Is your own rationality your authority? Or is there something outside that contributes to both of those that are standing authority over that? And whenever we talk about the Bible, the Bible is the final authority. This is from the history of the church. This is Calvinism, Arminianism, every tradition. Uh, Roman Catholicism would add an authority being the, the magisterial authority, the pope and the bishops. But every Christian that has ever lived believes that the Bible is the authority and it's it's bigger authority than their own emotions if you start with this like if i was to say to you just go with your gut and and take what you want out of the bible and leave it then i'm just i'm just leaving you out there in nothing in the desert to to uh, who knows what's going to happen right mm -hmm. christianity does mean something and if if christianity means something there's got to be a way in which we can come to define it and that defining marker is going to be on where do we get our, where, what is our source of authority? And I would say the Bible is the ultimate source of, of the way in which Christ, who is our authority, speaks to us, even though you can make arguments that our emotions have something to do with it, that our rationale had something to do with it. Like, I don't believe that we can believe contradictory things right? Like God is one God and three gods. That's not true. It can't be true. Can I, one cancels out the other. You just said something. <clears throat> Man, uh, I can't believe what I've just felt from what you just said. I, uh, and, and, and don't take this any other way than what it is, but like it finally, like something finally clicked in me from what you said about authority because you know how what i think oh yeah you're you're, you're allergic to the word authority right <clears throat> but i just <clears throat> i felt my whole body just give in i'm like i've got to have you know i can't just keep i can't make all the rules you know and i can't yeah. i mean like you called it social what you call it when i talked about the stoplights, the red light, green light, like who says red means stop and green, you know, I mean, who says that? Yeah. But you said something right there that just literally, I felt my whole body and this is no, just give in. And it wasn't like giving in. It was like truly believing. Okay. This is why we're doing this. This is what, this is how I've been praying wrong. 
this is how everything because I never really gave gave in and and I've asked you before like how do you know and it's your decision or his but something just happened right there <laughs> is that weird no it's funny I mean I, I start to laugh not because it's it's weird or anything, but because we're sitting here talking about Calvinism, we're talking about God coming in our lives and sovereignly. Oh man, that just made us. me a hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> coming in it, sovereignly moving us, and that's the only way we can come to know the truth and believe it. Oh, man. And it's, yeah. We think it's that. our choice, but anyway, that that doesn't matter. Like I said, it, both there are good people on both sides whenever it comes to this. But what you just said about authority and something clicking, that makes me happier, uh, so much happier than if you became a Calvinist or anything like that. Because you do have to start with a sort. I'm not your authority, right? Um, I'm an authority. <laughs> you you do trust me. Very but nice. in the end, you, why do you trust me? Because I, I read the Bible, because I, I you think I know the Bible. You think whatever it, whatever path I'm going to to get to God, you think is the right path, or at least more right than what you've been on well, before. Because, yeah, and, but you and I have such a history that I, I, I trusted you just because of what we've gone through together. And and I like, uh, like you said the last time, um, we have the same personalities. And... I, I trust you because of your way and, and your leadership. And, and if you would have, thank God you didn't go to Satanism, you know, <laughs> I probably would have gone that way too. But uh, um, yeah, that's, I, I had just have a really weird feeling right now. That's, um, I truly just like gave, is giving in the word. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you're just, I think, I think you've had such a, like I said, an allergy towards the idea of authority, where you've come from. The Catholic church sometimes do does this. And I'm not saying the Catholic church is always like this. There's some, uh, but, but sometimes there's abuses of authority in the Catholic church and the Protestant church as well. If you're a Baptist, yeah, abuse, great. people don't like the word authority and you don't really know how you're going to, who, who, what, are you going to submit yourself over to something else or are you the captain of your own soul? And what most a, of the time we think it's noble for people to say, Hey, I'm the captain of my own soul. I do what I choose and I am the last stop in every decision. And, um, you know, I'll take, I'll, I'll stand before God with that, but that's not a noble thing. I mean, basically you're, you're standing there as somebody who's a subjective person who's in this, uh, who's in a finite world, who has a finite brain, who has finite experiences, who has finite emotions, and you're thinking you can make the most ultimate decisions. And, uh, you know, we're coming and we're saying, well, in the Bible, though, the Bible says that it is our final authority. It is our ultimate uh, source for this authority of Christ. This has turned into a therapy session. Um, I think that you called me insightful one time, so I'm going to call you insightful one time. I wonder if that's why I don't like the authority word scares me is because of how it's brought up in the Catholic Church. My personality just wasn't with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like I have to, and, and I always had a problem with. I got to go to a priest. I got to wait in line first of all, which you know how you and I feel about lines, but I have to wait in line to go tell somebody about my sins mm -hmm. and then I got to go pray with a rosary forever. I mean, that took forever, especially when you're a little kid and like it's recess or something, you know, yeah. I got to do how many, 
And then all I was wanting to do is tell God, I'm sorry, man. You know, and yeah. I got to wait in line. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. And then, I, you know, got to get the principal's office. It was Sister Diane, which is my favorite. But now I got to talk to a, a, a nun. And then I go back to school or class. And then, you know, I get a nun as a teacher, which is fine. I mean, it's I, I don't I'm not categorizing. I'm just saying my whole world growing up until 10th grade was rules with priests and Catholics, you know? And yeah. that's why I think I said that one time, it, it's so hard to get to heaven. But you just brought up something that really blew my mind. Man, this has been, I hope you like this as much as I did, but um, I never thought of that. Why? But I just gave, I mean, you just saw it happen. I mean, a lot of people just saw me give in. And uh, I'm excited, Michael. Um, thank you for that. No, I mean, like I said, it's the greatest thing that could happen. I don't, I don't know how we, we get to that point. I can't go back in my life. Like you said, I grew up this way. My mom was like this and I can't go back to the point where I said, you know what? I'm going to, I, I'm, I believe in all this stuff, but I'm going to put my ultimate source of authority for God, his communication in the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to click on whatever needs to be clicked on to believing the Bible is. Now, I mean, since then, I've gone back and I've said, why do I believe the Bible is the authority? Why do I believe, you know, the 66 books and not the, you know, 13 extra books of the uh, Catholic faith or the Mormons aren't, their book's not right? Why do I think that Romans chapter 9 is right? And, uh, you know, why can't I take out a chapter. I've thought through all of these things, right? I'm sure you have. And this is just the same. This is just you coming to this point. And I do believe there's a very simple thing that happens to us. It's not a highly intellectual thing. It's not something that you become a scholar and finally submit over to the Bible. I think it's something that just like, just like what happened to you. Suddenly you believe and you trust. It's how you put it. And, and, and I'll let you go after this, but, um, you know how I, well, get. Not, I, I I hope this makes you whenever you pick up the Bible and read it yourself, it makes it more valuable. I mean, that's, that's what I would hope. It's uh, I feel completely like almost I have the perfect like boss, you know, if I was going to have, I, I got like, honestly, it's like, okay, you're right. And that's why I was praying so wrong. But I, what I wanted to say, and, and we'll talk here later and our Patreon listeners can. The, no, the I, I got a question. Play. I got a question for you too. Anyway, before we go, <clears throat> you've saved my life. I think more than once. Um, but this could be. I don't know if it's the first or second best, and I don't want to categorize life saving, but I don't. I can't. The authority thing, like you talked me out of and talked me into it all in one conversation, you know, it's like, this is why I don't believe in God. You know, this is why I don't want to do this. And this is why I don't want to do that and get so deep into the Bible. And then you came back and said something like authority, but then it made sense. Like you have to have, there has to be some kind of authority. And he's the one that made all the rules. I mean, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm processing and I'm sorry, but um, I just wanted to say thank you. And no, I love it. I mean, you're, you're so right. I'm, I'm, I'm processing the way you're processing it in this sense. 
I, 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 I didn't go through this at your age. I, like I said, I grew up believing it and tried to figure out what I believed afterwards. And here I'm trying to think through how, how is it that dad's thinking and what are the steps he's, I'm learning just as much as you whenever I go through this kind of stuff, dad, because I'm having to think about it in a completely different way myself. Yeah. So it's like the questions, whenever you, whenever you ask these questions, like, like the, uh, you know, just a, such a, such a simple question about, you know, how do you know that the book of Romans, why would you even believe it? I'm like, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, why? And why do they call it Romans if Paul wrote it? Why do they call it Paul? I mean, I don't understand. (laughs) It was written to the Romans, to the Romans. Okay. Why Romans and not Israelites if they were, I mean, I, well, he, he wrote he wrote to plenty of people. He wrote to the Corinthians. He wrote to the Romans. He wrote to the Philippians. He wrote to the Colossians. He wrote to the Ephesians. He wrote to well, a lot, lot of different people. He's writing all the time. <laughs> he, he's writing a lot. And yeah. We only have thirteen of his uh, thirteen of his works that made it in the Bible. But all right, man. I'll talk to you next time. I love you, Michael. Thank you for. <laughs> all this. right, love you too, man. Good, good stuff. Yeah, I hope so. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm learning plenty myself as I go through what the, I mean, that's what, that's what I want this for because so many of you guys are like me and you need to hear these kind of questions that are coming in from the left field that are, that are so good of uh, such good questions, but they're not the type of questions that you normally ask yourself or, even get asked often. And that's why Tad's here. Tad, he just has good questions. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. If you guys uh, wanted to uh, check out more of what goes on in this ministry, check us out at credohouse.org or credocourses.com. Two different places, credohouse.org is C-R-E-D-O house.org. That is my, um, that is my blog. So I, I write there all the time. And then Credo Courses are the is the place where we have all the uh, uh, formal course work, all the formal professors, all the formal seminary type training that you'd go to. And then finally, right here, if you wanted to become a patron, if you like what we're doing here, you wanted to support, uh, you become a patron at any level, and you'll get access to everything whenever you become a patron. Just look through all the different levels. There's tons of stuff. Trust me, it's well worth it. But uh, check that out. You just point your phone at that, and I guess it'll take you to the place uh, it, it needs to take you. But thank you so much for joining us once again, and we will see you next Theology 